Amen. Well, this morning we're returning to one summer. We've been going through it uh, bit by bit on a Sunday morning when I've been here, and we've arrived at chapter 3. And the first thing I want to say to you is, are you listening? Uh-huh. Are you listening? You say, well, we're here. Obviously we're listening. Not necessarily. You can be physically present. Somebody can be speaking. But you're not listening. Allegedly, it's a common complaint of wives to husbands. You're not listening. Why? What did you say? You're not listening. Or to the kids. You're not paying attention. You're not listening. Now, I'm going to suggest that that is the big theme of chapter 3. All right? Listening, hearing what God has to say through his word. Now, just to recap a little bit, uh, the main theme of the whole of Samuel, we've said, is that uh, God is pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how do you do that? How do you get, get to that? Well, very simply, because it starts in the previous book, which is Judges, the last verse, which says, and every man did that which is right in his own eyes, for there was no king in Israel at the time. There was no king. There was no leadership. And then we come into Samuel, and we find that uh, the people want a king. They want leadership. Not because they want to be drawn by the king to closer be with, to, to, to walk with God and in his ways, but they want a king to be like the other nations. And that's what upset Samuel. It wasn't the fact that they should have a king. That was mentioned back in Deuteronomy. That was okay for Israel to have a king. But the, what concerned Samuel was they didn't want God's leadership. They wanted a king who would lead him into battle and give them victories and they would follow him like the other nations. And God said, well, don't worry about it. All right, I'll give him a king. That's what they want, I'll give him a king. And of course, God gave Saul and sadly, he was a failure. But then God gives him another king, a man after his own heart, David. Great King David. And we read about him in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And yet, sadly, we have to say this, as great as David was, and he was a godly man, and he did great things, he failed. He did fail. He sinned. And what God is doing through Samuel 1 and 2 is saying, there is a king coming who is a great king, greater than David, greater than Solomon, king of kings, lord of lords, who will not fail, who will not sin, who will lead his people to victory and glory. King Jesus. So that's the big theme of 1 and 2 Samuel. Now I'm going to suggest this morning that the theme of chapter 3 is hearing, is listening. And if you think about it, there are lots of little things that uh, kind of underline this. The very fact that Samuel's name means God hears or God is listening. Right? Sam and El, you know, the El, there's God. Sam or Sham or Shammah is listening. Uh, if you know your Hebrew, um, you will know that Jewish folk start the day by singing or saying the Shammah. 
And the Shema is from the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only, and so forth. And the Shema means listen. So it's about listening, listening. And uh, it, I find it uh, interesting, right, as you go through um, the, the books of, just a few examples, as you go through the book of, of Samuel, there's, there's some sad listenings. For example, when the ark is captured, right, this is back in, cha in late chapter 4, we may get there sometime, and we are told this, that Eli, the news came to Eli, and he was watching for what was going on in the battle and so forth, and uh, he heard, this is verse 14, says, and Eli heard that the ark of the covenant had been captured by the Philistines. And you know, he was old and he was heavy and he fell off his chair and died. His daughter-in-law, she heard what had happened. She died in pregnancy. And you remember the, the, the word Ichabod, the glory of the Lord is departed. So that's, that's, that's kind of sad. And there's a sad then, this is a, this is a big, big thing. This is why I mention them to you, although you know them very well. Do you remember Saul, King Saul? And God, through Samuel, says, you are to destroy the Amalekites and all that is theirs. Utter destruction. And Saul, King Saul, thought better of it, right? He knew what God had said, but uh, he knew better than God, or uh, the circumstances were such. He said, what a waste to destroy these things. I think I'll, I'll keep some of the sheep, I'll keep some of the, the oxen or the, uh, the, the, the cattle, I'll keep some and offer them a sacrifice, and God will be pleased with that. And there's this little memorable verse where Samuel comes and says, what's that lowing I hear? I can hear there are cows here. I can hear there are sheep here. I can hear this. Ah, says Saul, I thought I was doing God a favor. And Samuel says, those immortal words, to obey is better than sacrifice. I shouldn't be hearing this. It's not what I want to hear. I want to hear silence. And you've gone your own way and disobeyed. And then one final little example of hearing is from... Um, David, one of the stories we love in Samuel is David and Goliath. And you, you know it so well, I hardly need to mention it to you. But you know, they, 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 they had arranged the armies of the Philistines, the armies of Israel, and this uh, giant Goliath, he comes, he's about nine foot or something, he comes and he issues this, this uh, challenge to Israel. You know, anybody uh, want to come and fight, you fight man to man, as it were, and whoever wins, then that side will be the victors, and we, the rest of us will be slaves. Oh, you know, have I got any takers? And everybody's terrified of him. And then David, he leaves the sheep with the, his, the sheep of his father with a with with keeper, and he off to give to, takes a little snack, a bit of cheddar cheese to his um, brothers, and uh, he's there. And who should come along but Goliath? And he issues the same challenge as previously. And we're told, I'll read it to you exactly, so I don't get it wrong. Um, this is what we're told. And as he talked, David, 
there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of Philistines, and spoke uh, according to the same words, i.e., who's there. And David heard them. He's there, and he hears. And his response is totally different to the response of his brothers and of the armies. He's not trembling. He's not afraid. He says, how dare this uncircumcised Philistines curse the armies of the living God? He sees in the situation that the big thing, the main thing, is the glory of Yahweh. And that's what this man is doing. He's defiling the armies of Yahweh. How dare he? I'll sort him out. And so he did. Now, back to the top context. Hearing is so important. Well, let's look at the context of chapter 3. I need to explain one or two words to you, I think. I read, um, this is out of the AV here, I read, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Now, the word precious has several meanings. It can be precious as in very expensive. Today, we would say gold and silver are precious. We can talk about someone, a loved one, who is precious, very dear to us. But the meaning of precious in this context is rare. It's Samuel, the writer of Samuel is not saying the word of God was precious as in everybody loved it. He's not saying that, rather the contrary to that. He's saying that the word of God was rare. It was very rare. And it was confirmed by that, but the next phrase, there was no open vision. Nobody, would talk, nobody was talking about the word of the Lord. There was no prophet. There was no man of God declaring to the people the very word of God. It was rare. And this has got a margin here, and it says, alternate reading, rare. It was very rare. How sad is that? In a land where the God had given his word to his people, there was no one to proclaim it. It was rare. And we're approaching those days, you know, in the UK. There are people who've never read a Bible. Increasingly, there are people who've never read a New Testament. They've never heard what we would call a gospel message. And the things they hear in the name of Christianity is a long way removed from the Bible, the very word of God. I think it's Amos who talks about there shall in those days be a famine. But not a famine of food, of things to eat or whatever, but a famine of the hearing of the word of God. And we're in such days. There's a famine. There's a famine of hearing men proclaiming the very word of God. How sad is that? And therefore, in passing, we should be grateful that here in Gordon Road, we have folk who preach to us God's word. We need to hear God's word. Well, so there was a famine, there was a, there was rare, and then we're told about 
Uh, oh, the other thing I should mention to you is the mention of the word temple. This is not the temple as was built by Solomon. Obviously, that comes later on, right? This is the tabernacle. Discussion of how permanent this tent of meeting was, all right? Somebody will say, well, it's got doors. Well, we used to go camping when Bev and I had the kids, girls when they were little, and we would zip the door of the tent, big frame tent, and we'd zip it up. It was a door. It wasn't a physical door. It was just as it is. You zip it up and you open it. But So doors here don't necessarily mean big wooden or whatever things. Not necessarily. So be, bear, bear that in mind when you read, and we've sung about it, about the temple. Right? It's actually the tabernacle, not the stone building that Salman built. Okay, so here's Eli. Right? He's in the temple. He's going to sleep. His eyes were dim. And he could not see. Okay? And the other lamp, the lamp of God, which was lit every, lit every day, it was just about to go out, not yet. And Samuel was laid down in his sleep. The location, don't worry about it. Where did Samuel have a little special place in, in, the, in the tabernacle? I think so. Eli, perhaps uh, just outside, or perhaps in the corner somewhere, it doesn't matter. Right? They were there. Eli and Samuel. And verse 4, and the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, here am I. Here is an audible voice. Now, when we come to apply some of these things, we will go carefully, all right? But at the moment, we're just dealing with the actual facts as related to us. So the Lord calls him, Samuel. And here am I. Now, we don't know how old he was at the time. Some suspect he was probably a teenager. I think so, too, all right? Um, here I am. And obviously, there's only two people in the place, and uh, Samuel is one, and the other is Eli. So Eli is calling him. It's obviously Eli, isn't it? Must be. Here I am. So he goes up to Eli, and you, you know, here I am. You called me. No, I didn't. Oh. Now Samuel knows somebody has called him. And it must be Eli, but Eli said he didn't. So, poor lad, I wonder, you think, am I dreaming? I don't know if you've ever dreamt things like that, where somebody appears to be calling you. And uh, anyway, okay, goes back, goes, goes, go back, go back. Comes again, called, the Lord said, Samuel, and Samuel went to Eli, he did call me. No, I didn't. Go sleep. Now, poor old Samuel, you've got a feel for the lad, haven't you? Am I, am I going a bit kind of funny here? Yeah. Right. So the third time, the Lord called Samuel again, the third time. Now, one thing I love about the Lord, he's very gracious. He's very gracious and he's very patient. I confess I have trouble with both on occasions. If you don't hear me the first time, then look out. All right? I've called you once. I've called you soon. Now, come on. It's time to come in for dinner. I was very late to come in for dinner, but I was called. So the third time, Eli has now, ah, there's something going on here. Ah, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, it shall be. If he calls again, thou shalt say, speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. So now we're getting much closer to exactly what's going on. And what's going on is that God himself is calling this young lad, this Samuel, to himself. 
So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now, it's a very interesting little thing which I haven't mentioned, all right? It's verse 7. Verse 7 says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. I think we can pause there and say this has a great gospel application. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Here is a lad, we've got a godly mother and father. He's in the house of God. He's been dedicated to the to serve the Lord. He's in the house of God. He is, shall we say, in his teens. He is hearing uh, what's going on. He's got some understanding of what's happening in there. He knows about, about God. He knows about Jehovah, Yahweh. He knows about uh, the covenants. He knows about the history of Israel thus far. He knows a great deal for a young teenager. He knows a lot about God, but he does not know God. He does not know God personally. He knows there's the word of God, but he has no personal understanding of it. As I thought about this, I thought, wow, you imagine how many people are in a building such as ours this morning, small little chapel, smaller perhaps, little mission perhaps, a bigger church, a cathedral, however many there may be, there may be six, there may be 60, there may be 6,000. They're in a building... They're in the house of the Lord. They know about God, but they do not know God personally. They do not know the word of God personally to them. How sad is that? But I suspect it's very common in many churches, and it may be true of us here in Gordon Road. You know about God. There's nobody here this morning who doesn't know about God. Uh, how much knowledge you have uh, will depend. Uh, you may have been brought up in a Christian home, uh, and you always, you always went to, to church, or study school, young people, and then to the church itself. Uh, and you've always been in church, and you've heard hundreds and thousands of sermons and sing hymns and all the rest of it. Um, <clears throat> but, but you've never personally come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never, ever thought, you know, I know about God, but I don't really know him. I have no relationship with him. I know about Jesus, but I don't know him as my savior. Now, you know the facts. You can't have been coming to Gordon Road for more than a few weeks, and some of you have been lots of weeks and lots of years, right, without hearing the facts about Jesus. You've heard them. You've heard about Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and possibly his coming again. You've heard these things, but they've never meant anything personally to you. You've never stopped and said, you know, if this is true, and as I'm sure it is, if this is true, then I should ask this Jesus to be my saviour. Now, is that too basic? 
Is that too basic for you? I don't think it is. I think it's necessary that we remind ourselves that you can know about God, you can know about the Lord Jesus, but never actually know him personally. My dear late wife, Bev, knew a great deal about the royal family. She knew the grandchildren and the nieces and nephews and everybody who was married to everyone. She knew a lot of things. But as far as I know, she never met the Queen. The nearer she got to meeting the Queen was when the Queen opened uh, the Royal Mint in Llantrisant, where we lived. And she took our daughter, our firstborn, Sarah, in the pram. And she wheeled the pram down the hill to the Royal Mint. And there were thousands of others. She saw the Queen. But as far as I know, she never got close. And as far as I know, the Queen never said, can I look at your baby? Oh, she's pretty. Well, she was. She was like a dad. Um, as far as I know. She knew about her, but never knew personally. I'm really stressing this this morning. You can know all about the Lord Jesus, but not know him as Savior. You need to ask him to be your Savior save you, commit your heart into your life. Well, so at that time, Samuel didn't know, didn't know the Lord, didn't know his word, had been revealed to him. Well, finally, verse 10, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. He stresses it, interesting, you won't go through it now, but very interesting, the doubles, Abram, Abram. All right? He calls, God speaks sometimes with this emphasis. Yes, it's you. It's you, Samuel. Not another Samuel. It's you, Samuel. And it may be this morning God is speaking to you personally and not somebody else. Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, Speak for your servant hears. He's obeying Eli's advice. And he says, Speak. I'm all yours. I want you to hear what you have to say to me. And the Lord said to Samuel, I will do a thing in Israel which both the ears of everyone who hears shall tingle. Um, I heard a a message on this and uh, the man said, why have we got a reference to both ears? You can't hear with one, but you could hear with one ear if it's got a problem, but you, you're obviously going to hear with both ears. You, somebody says, you're going to hear with both ears. It's to emphasize this message I'm going to bring, this word I'm going to bring to this people will cause people to tingle, to tremble. And there will be things that are said and done in later chapters that will cause people to tingle and to tremble. Dare I ask, have your ears ever tingled? Have your ears ever, have you trembled? We take God's word far too lightly. It's about time we took it seriously. And then he explains what he's going to do with Eli, with Eli and his family. Now, it's quite difficult, all right? Because what God is saying is, I've finished with Eli and his family. His sons are so wicked, they're so vile, I've finished with them. And he even says, 
even though I might bring a sacrifice, are not accepted. Wow. Such was the depravity of these boys. Such was the depravity of what they were and what they'd done and what they were doing. God said, that's it. That's it. I finished with them. Now, what's the difference between these boys and Samuel? They both did not know the Lord. But God had mercy upon Samuel, even though he was ignorant of him, because he went and asked. He yielded to God. He was obedient to what he heard. These boys rejected rejected the word of God, rejected. They deliberately went against God. And ultimately, if you keep rejecting the gospel, there's no answer. There's no answer. If you despise the letter to the Hebrews, there's a solemn little passage about despising the blood of the covenant, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can get to a stage where you despise it, and God says, that's it. That's it. Because there's no other way I can forgive sins but through the shedding of the blood of my son at Calvary. And if you reject that, that's it. There's nothing else. There's no other way. There's no second opinion. Now, what we are careful of here is we're not saying that you can sin a sin which is so bad that God can't forgive you. God can forgive every single sin of every single person as he pleases. But it comes to a stage when someone says, I reject that. And God says, right, you reject it, live with the consequences, die with the consequences. Well, let's just bring a few applications then. Uh, this hearing I find very interesting in the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to go through every single reference. Um, but do you remember the parable of the sower? Oh, yes, of course, you remember that. Everybody remembers that. This stuff is so... You, you know this. You learned this in Sunday school. You don't need me to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Jesus talks about this little parable. It's a wonderful little parable. And you know it, the parable. The sower goes out to sow, all right? I sow the seed, and the first bit of seed he, sh he sows goes on the pathway, all right? Or the wayside, if you like. And we are told um, the fowls of the air came and devoured them. Flew down. As much as I love little birds and feathered friends, I don't like them pinching my seeds and pecking at my beans and carriage and all the rest of it. Alright? I just don't like that. Now, that's what Jesus said. Right? That's about it. He goes on a few other things. And then he gives an interpretation of that. He said, you know, this seed is the word of God, the word of the kingdom. And when a man sows the seed and some falls on the wayside, this is what he says, it, he hears it, he hears it, but doesn't understand it. And then comes the wicked one, the evil one, and catches that which he's heard and whisks it away. Whisks it away. So it doesn't enter in. 
doesn't enter into his heart, into his life. This seed in the wizard doesn't move into the ground. It's there on, on the top, as it were. And the birds come and pick it, and off they go. We can hear God's word on a meeting such as this before we're out of the doors, before we get into the car, and we've, the enemy of our souls has taken it away, has snatched it, and we forget it. By the time we get home for dinner, uh, somebody might say to you, what did the man preach about this morning? I don't know. I can't remember. Well, it could be much. Well, yeah, well, it was that fellow. I mean, snatched away. How careful we need to be to retain that which we hear and act upon it. When Paul writes to the Romans, he talks about faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to hear God's word. You need to believe it, to trust it, to commit yourself to it, and to the God who gave it. Now, somebody says, oh, that's fine, I agree with all you've said, and so on. Um, but to be honest, uh, I, I do believe. I believe. Uh, I, I seek to, to live uh, as best I can uh, to God's glory and praise and Oh, I do what I can, and so on. Well, let me tell you what James said, all right? Now, James, godly Jewish man, ultra-Orthodox, as we know, but obviously the Lord had revealed himself to him, and this is what he writes to believers. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Have you got that? James is saying it's possible to hear God's word regularly. Every Sunday, you hear it. But you don't do anything about it. It doesn't affect your heart. It doesn't affect your life. It doesn't affect your worship. It doesn't affect your praying. You hear it, but you don't do anything about it. I remember a man preaching years and years ago on, um, on something similar. And he said this. Let me ask you something. Talking to believers. What have you done or not done this past week that has been directly influenced by the word of God? Oh. In other words, what he was saying is this. During the week, you've read your Bible... Presumably, or you've heard preaching, something's been said, something's been written, and you've looked at that and thought about it and then acted upon it, and it has changed something in your heart, in your life. So the word has had a direct application to you. I remember listening to that, I thought, wow, I can't think of anything that I've read. I've heard has affected me this last week. And if I was honest, I'd probably go, go, go a month. Now, what does that say about us? Me included, me included. What does it say about our coming to worship? We hear a sermon, we hear a message, oh, very good, but it doesn't affect us. How good is that? It's not good. It shouldn't be good. Now, bits of 
God in his graciousness and his promise can use bits of sermons and messages and bits of what we read to affect us in different ways. Let me just read the, the, the end of that passage in um, James. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That's presumably a mirror. And behold, he, for he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Can you do that? Look in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good-looking fellow. Yeah, or not? Yeah, yeah. And then forget. No, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. But whoever looks at the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So if the word of God actually governs our behavior, it will become evident. What we are doing is because God says we should do it in his word. If any man among you seems to be religious, that's us, I suppose, and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, hands up those who have total control of their tongues. I can't see any hands being raised. And this one year is not going up either. No. That's a simple thing, isn't it? God says in his word we should control our tongues. And we find it so hard. <laughs> Pure religion and undefiled before God and the fatherless to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep, keep himself unspotted from the world. That's just one little thing. I find this challenging. I really find this challenging. I find that the problem with me is I don't listen so well. A little bit I do listen, I don't do. Marks it a 10 minus 3. We need to hear better. And we need to do better. To the glory of God. When the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll finish with this, when the Lord Jesus Christ wrote, um, or caused John to write to the seven churches of Asia, you know that very well, Revelation chapters 2 to 3. And there every church, he says a few things, and uh, at the end of the little message, you have this little phrase that is repeated seven times, seven churches. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Every single church there in Asia, every single fellowship of true believers now in Hailsham and district, the Lord, risen Lord Jesus Christ is saying to his people, if you've got years to hear, hear what I'm saying to you. And do it. And do it. Because if you don't, you'll be held to account. Oh, I don't like that so much. Well, pay attention. Are you listening? Are you listening? Let's pray. Father, 
we thank you for your word. We thank you for this lovely little story about Eli and Samuel. And uh, we know it so well, and we sing hymns about it, and yes, it's great. But, Lord, the challenge comes to us this morning. Are we really listening to God? Are we paying attention to his word? Oh, Lord, I cry to you that I and these dear folk here will hear your word and more and more be hearers and doers of the word to your great glory and honor and praise. Amen. 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 Now, if you know your hymns, you won't be surprised. I've chosen seven, eight, one to close, which I'm sure is based on partly on Samuel's experience. So seven, eight, one. Master, speak, thy servant heareth, waiting for thy gracious word, longing for thy voice that cheereth. Master, let it now be heard. I am listening. Lord, for thee, what hast thou to say to me? 781.
Father, for your word. Help us to listen. But more, help us to do that which we hear, to apply it to our hearts and lives, to bring glory to our God and honor to our Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and our God the Father, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon God's people here, now, and everywhere, until we meet again and then forevermore. Amen.